0: The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. So we've been going through 2 Corinthians looking for courage, and it gets real today. Uh, we're talking about courage through suffering. Um, I would love to be like the TV preacher here and just be like, hey, once you trust Christ, no more suffering for you, uh, it all gets better, so write a big check or something like that, but that's not how we roll here at this church. Um, we, like to, we like to tell the truth, and um, you know, you figure it out at some point, don't you? You come to the reality that life is full of suffering. It's just full of suffering. Uh, some of us learn it early, too early, Uh, As a child, we experience things we never should, and and we know Uh, suffering is here. Some of us, it doesn't hit till later, but it should be obvious, shouldn't it? You watch the news, what's on the news? Suffering. You read history, what's history full of? Suffering. Read the Bible, what's the Bible full of? Suffering. Suffering. It's been constant all the time, everywhere, but somehow, wouldn't you agree, it always seems surprising when it happens to us. It seems surprising. It feels surprising what me you get the call. Uh, You experience the whatever it is and you, me? Um, I think that's common, but uh, there we are. And uh, as the wise man once said, if you're not suffering yet, just wait longer. Um, And if we ever needed courage, uh, we need it here. If we ever needed courage, we need it here. In fact, it's almost even the definition of courage, right? Strength in the face of pain or grief. Strength in the face of suffering. So, where are we going to find that courage? The courage to handle suffering well. Um, courage to handle it well. Well, we have excellent help today. It's not me, um, but the Apostle Paul is excellent help for. Courage and suffering. We need to remember, he knows what it, a little of what it means to suffer. Do you remember that? I'll just show you a section of verses. If you look at 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-four 24 to 27, later on in this very letter, he gives you a little uh, autobiography of his own suffering. He says in 2 Corinthians eleven 24, five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. So just imagine the suffering there. Um, large amounts of people who hate you, that counts as suffering. Uh, 39 lashes, pretty sure that counts as suffering. And it wasn't just the pain of the moment, I wonder what your back is like the next week after that. I wonder if any infection hits. Do it five times in a row, those wounds have been opened that many times. Verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea. Is that anybody's nightmare? Like in the ocean, log floating, wondering what's lurking beneath. You're hungry, you're thirsty, you're suffering. Verse 26, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles. By the way, between Jews and Gentiles, that's everybody. Danger. Danger in the city, danger in the wilderness. By the way, if you're a city or wilderness, that's everywhere. (laughs) Danger. Danger at sea, danger from false brothers. Danger in the church, he's saying. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Does he know how to suffer? Yeah. And yet, as you watch his life, He always finds a source of courage to get him through it. Always finds a source of courage. So we do have help this morning. He wants to let us in on this autobiographical, this secret he has for courage through suffering. Courage through suffering. And I think you could could divvy this up in several ways. I'm gonna do it in three ways today. I think we see courage from how you think about suffering. So he wants to... He wants to change your outlook, your expectations. So when you encounter suffering, how does your brain respond to it? Um, What's the pattern for how you understand what's happening? Um, So how you think about suffering is one. Number two, where do you look during suffering? What I mean by look is like, um, where do you hang the hat of your heart? Where do you, uh, where's your hope? What are you landing on? What do you, where you look during suffering, and third would be how you walk through suffering. So now it's like, all right, how do we face each, each thing, each moment? So how you think about suffering, where you look during suffering, and how you walk through suffering. So let's go. You ready? We're going to start in chapter 4, verses 7 to 15, and we're going to think about how you think about suffering. And as we uh, hit these first few verses, I want you to just kind of look for a pattern. I think you'll find it before I mention it. Um, A pattern for how to understand suffering. So we'll start in verse 7. Chapter 4, verse 7, Paul says, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So you'll have to remember at this point where we've been previously, what's the treasure that we have? What is the treasure we have? In context, it's quite clearly the gospel, the message of the gospel, the knowledge that Jesus, the Son of God, came for us. He put on flesh and lived, um, lived this life for us perfectly, in our shoes, he knows what it's like. He lived for us, he died for us. It's the knowledge that Jesus took on himself the punishment we deserve for our sins so that we can be totally, absolutely forgiven. It's the knowledge that Jesus rose from the dead in victory. That's pretty big for how you understand suffering. Um, suffering happens, but it's not the final word. Jesus, Jesus rose and he wins. He's victorious. He reigns now. He's ruling now for our good, and one day he's going to return. He's going to put suffering to bed, it's going to be over. Um, And so this treasure is the gospel, especially the fact that when the Spirit opens our eyes, like you you hear the gospel, when the Holy Spirit opens your eyes and opens your heart, you see the beauty and the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So the high point of the gospel isn't just being forgiven, it's it's being enamored with this, the person of the Son of God, um, who we have forever. That's the treasure, that's the treasure. Paul says, God picks a weird place to keep his treasure. Well, um, how do people how do people come to believe the gospel? Somebody tells them. I know, I know, it's crazy. Somebody tells them. Um, so Paul says we have this treasure, the message of the gospel. And where where does God keep his treasure? In jars of clay. That's interesting. What does it mean? Where do you keep your treasure? Uh, I assume you have a bank account of some sort, maybe. You have a safe. Um, You lock your kiddos up at night. The doors are bolted. Um, You keep your treasure at least somewhere to where you can protect it. Imagine all your cash in a paper lunch bag. Imagine your jewelry in a Tupperware. Um, God keeps his treasure in jars of clay. Jars clay, Jars of clay are cheap, and fragile, so you know, if you ever a kid, it rained on your lunch bag and you watched it melt and your little peanut butter and jelly fell out the bottom, okay? That's where God keeps his treasure, jars of clay, paper bags. Um, Why does God keep the treasure of the gospel in weak, fragile, cheap paper bags like us? Did you see it, you remember in verse seven? We have this treasure in jars of clay, why? It shows where the power belongs to. It shows where the power belongs. It shows who has the power. The power's in the gospel itself. So the, the beauty of God's treasure is it, it can't really be stolen. In fact, God's treasure is the one who's stealing. He's stealing people. He's winning people. And so the gospel is kept in fragile people like us as we share the gospel with others, it's kept in fragile people like us to show that there's no, there's no greatness in me specifically, there's no greatness in you specifically. The greatness is Jesus and, and the message of who he is. And so the fact that we're weak is kind of like a setting to show the beauty of the treasure itself. You see that? So you ever driven by like a beautiful house or you've been in an art museum and they got the, the floodlights? Pointing up. So the purpose of those lights, like when you go to an art museum, there's lights on the painting. You're not intended to go look at the light. Wow. You see that? No, what are you supposed to look at? Well, the painting. So the light highlights the painting. Um, Our weakness here is like the floodlight on the gospel. So everybody can see the power and the beauty, the majesty is in God and not in us. But already you're noticing something. What is one way, uh, the major way in this passage, Paul says we're like jars of clay. The the major thing that shows how weak we are is our suffering. Did you see that? It is our suffering. And so, put all this together, just verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay, we have this treasure in suffering, fragile people. Why? To floodlight how great God is. You already see a pattern? Do you already see something going on? Look at verse eight. This is an amazing line. Every, uh, every TV like prosperity gospel preacher should have to memorize this, these two verses. Should have to memorize it. Who's the, who's the we? Paul and his teammates, right? We are, count this with me, we are what? Afflicted in every way. We're just looking at the bad part right now. The are not crushed. What's the next one? Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, not destroyed. We are afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down. Do those, are those like Disneyland happy words? Afflicted. Uh, the Greek word there has a sense of pressure, like grapes being squeezed into wine. Can you feel how suffering adds pressure to your life? Stress. Uh, anxiety. How about this? Perplexion. Perplexed. Perplexed means I have no idea what to do now, I'm, to, I'm lost, I'm in the weeds, I have no idea what to do, I'm at a, I'm at a loss. I love that the apostle was perplexed, <laughs> does that help you? That helps me, because I'm perplexed too, and he's probably smarter than me. <laughs> the apostle said, we felt perplexed, no idea what to do, confusion, doesn't suffering add confusion and lostness? Per- persecution, that's being hated, rejected for loving Jesus, facing consequences for living for Jesus, but rejection is a suffering that struck down. It's the idea of almost being put to shame, almost. It's being cast to the ground, being humbled. Have you ever felt that way in, in suffering? You, just, you feel like you've thrown out like a piece of garbage. You, f- you feel embarrassed, uh, you, feel, you feel helpless no power, good company. Paul says that's how we feel. Afflicted, and then all these negative things, what's after each, each phrase? We're afflicted in every way, what are the next two words? But not, but not, but not, but not. So Paul is saying we suffer, we suffer, but that's not the final word. It's not the end of the story. Let me show you something. You want to be a little uh, biblically cynical? It's good for us. Let's do it. Paul said, didn't he he say, we're perplexed but not driven to to, uh, despair? You read that, right? Look at 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8. It says, we're perplexed but not driven to despair. 2 Corinthians 1, 8. For we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we what? Despaired of life itself. So which is it, Paul? Are we perplexed but not driven to despair or despairing of life itself? Well, how would you answer this? This is in no way a, some contradiction where Paul's Just throwing words out into the air. No way. Um, I think we all know that in the middle of suffering, those feelings, the sense, that perception, is like a tidal wave. Tidal wave, it overwhelms us. But for Paul, it's not the end. I feel like I'm despairing, but in the end, No. I feel like I have no idea, but in the end, no. It's not the final word. We're seeing a pattern, look folks, at verses 10 and 11. Verses 10 and 11, you're gonna see the pattern here. Verse 10, we're always carrying carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. What's the pattern? It's the pattern of Jesus. It's cross before the crown. What did Jesus endure? Suffering. Was that the end? No. He rose from the dead, and now he reigns in victory. Cross before the crown. Just take a step back, big picture, how you understand the world. Why, why did Jesus go to the cross? To pay for sin. Rebellion. We've rebelled. That's why they're suffering. We live in a sinful, broken age. Things don't work the way they're supposed to. Paul later is going to say outwardly, we are wasting away. I mean, I hate to be a downer on this beautiful day, but did you know you're wasting away right now? You got cells dying, you got a clock ticking. For some of us, hopefully you got, a, you got a long duration left. For others of us, it's not as long. I heard one pastor say it, everything good in this life is like a wave on the shore. It's so good, there's so much good in this life, right? So much good. Everything that's good is like a wave on the shore. The wave comes up. You ever tried to keep it there? And you can't. Your body, guess what? Wasting away. Every relationship you have, guess what? Limited time offer. Every good thing. There's a pattern. It's because of sin, it's breaking down, it's dying. And yet, Jesus' pattern says he came and he suffered intentionally to save us, to rise from the dead and what, he, he, he twists it around, sin and death, and he flips it over to where life is coming now. He's undone it through suffering. The pattern, and you see that the pattern of those who proclaim Jesus follows his pattern in their lives. Cross before the crown. So there's little deaths, right? He says, we're always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Little deaths. So what would little deaths be? I mean, like everyday life deaths. What did Jesus say to those who want to follow him? Take up your, what was it? Cross. And what do those do? They don't tickle you, right? Um, They kill Take up your cross always, little death, suffering, affliction, perplexion, persecution, and then ultimately the big death when your body goes, it's over. But he says, we're enduring always the death of Jesus so that we're also always, uh, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our flesh. Um, Don't you have constant life as well? Look at verse 16. We don't lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is what? Being renewed day by day. Don't, don't you, if you're a Christian, don't you have this sense? Uh, Jesus is with you and he's, he's refreshing you. He's keeping you going. He's building you up. He's changing you. He's maturing you. We have eternal life now. So there's a part of me that's wasting away, but there's a part of me that's coming to life again and again. Uh, every day, little life, I'm being renewed And then ultimately, big life. What is that? Verse 14. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will do what? Raise us also with Jesus. With Jesus. So my outer flesh is wasting away, and I'm going to rise from the dead. Do you see the pattern? Cross before the crown. Isn't this true everywhere? It's like a theme of existence. Uh, If you wanna build up big muscles, what do you have to do to your muscle? You don't just go, hey, I'm gonna sit in my easy chair so I can get ripped, I gotta let them rest. Comfort for strength, okay? You won't have any muscles. You have to inflict pain upon your muscles in order for them to grow. Conversion You remember turning your life over to Christ? Tell me there wasn't a little death right there, a big death right there. You had to give up on yourself in a new way. You had to humble yourself in a new way. You had to die to live. Anybody in a relationship? In my marriage, if I want my marriage to go well, should I just go for ease and comfort all the time? Or do I need to die to myself? to make that marriage live, cross before the crown. What about service in the world? Do you wanna make the world a better place? You wanna make a difference in people's lives? Do you do that by just being casual or is there gonna be a price to pay your money, your time, your effort, your skills that you die to, that you give away so that others can live? Cross before the crown. You want to you grow in Christlikeness and holiness? It's a dangerous prayer. Lord, please humble me and help me be more holy. Are you sure? Because the way he tends to do that is not like, I'm going to help you be more holy by, uh, here, you won the lottery. Is that how it works? Or is there going to be a new like challenge that kind of exposes you, and you've got to deal with that and bring it before the Lord? and you'll change, and we've seen each other change, but it's always crossed before the crown. It's always crossed before the crown. We gotta see it this way, but that means that if it's crossed before the crown, it's not that we like suffering, or that we seek out suffering for its own sake, oh no, there's there's nothing good about that, but it does mean that we have an expectation of somehow there will be suffering and it will be used for good. Because it's what before the crown? Cross. But it's cross before the what? Crown. They go together. They go together. Cross before the crown, which means it means it'll be worth it. It means it'll be worth it. I I hesitate even to say it because, again, like Paul said, we're afflicted, we're despairing, we're overcome, and you're like... It's hard to even hear in the middle of it when you're feeling all that, that it's gonna be worth it. But what's Paul telling you? What's Jesus telling you? It'll be worth it. Look at verses 12 to 15. Paul says, even though we're overwhelmed, we're courageous. Death is at work in us, but life in you. That's cross before the crown. I suffered to bring you the gospel, Corinthians, and now you're alive. Verse 13, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what's been written, I believed and so I spoke. That's Paul quoting um, another text and saying, hey, I'm courageous to tell you this. I'm courageous. I believe this from my heart. Verse 14, he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. What's that? That's a crown. It's all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. What does that mean? What does it look like that grace is extending? What's grace? God's undeserved love for us in Christ. What is extending? It's grabbing more people. And as it grabs more people, what is it increasing? Thanksgiving, more and more people are saying, Thank you, God. We love you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for loving us in Christ. And what was a catalyst for the grace extending so that more people could praise God for his grace? Paul's suffering. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Big question. Big question, Uh, you ever tried to read through the book of Job before? It's a tough book, it's long, and then you get a lot of really great language that you find out later is bad advice. You wanna quote all his friends, and then later you're like, oh, they were wrong. (laughs) Uh, Not only that, there's this weird scene in the beginning of the book where the devil and God are hanging out somehow, And God's almost trash talking and saying, hey, look at my boy Job. The guy loves me. And you remember what Satan says to him? It's just because you give him good stuff. It's just because you're his sugar daddy. You're just giving him good stuff. He doesn't love you. He loves what you give him. And so there's this cosmic war now, right? And the question is, is God worth loving for his own sake? even if he doesn't give you everything you hope for? That's a big question. How would you answer it? And so the game is on and God says, all right, take stuff away, we'll see. Does Job suffer? Like no one else, like no one else. His friends give him bad advice, blah, 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 etc. He gets to the end, he gets to encounter God and he says, God, I realize now I was too big for my britches when I challenged how you run the world because you're God and I'm not, right? What's amazing is we don't have anything in the book that says that Job saw or heard the first two chapters. He never knew that his life was on the stage for hosts of spiritual beings, more person, uh, just as personal, as smart, uh, real beings to watch to see, is, is God worth it? Do God, does God's own people think that he's worth it even if he doesn't give them everything they want? Huge. And Job's Job's life in the end was a picture that says, yes, God is worth it. Yes, God is worth it. Do you think when Job went to heaven and he learned uh, what everybody was, you know, angel whoever came over and was like, whoa, man, do you think Job maybe went... wow, I'm glad I passed that one, okay? I'm glad, God, you are worth it. I'm glad I could show the world. Now everybody's reading my story. They're reading my story. Was it worth it? Is it worth it to glorify God in your suffering? Listen, first time the suffering comes, it's like, no, God, it's not worth it. Let me glorify you in my suffering. Success or something. But in the end, is it worth it? You tell me, what's more impressive? Somebody who has everything in the world going, hey, praise God, Jesus gave me everything in the world. That kind of religion is spreading throughout the globe right now. If you come to God, he'll give you everything you ever wanted. I think it's a lie. But you tell me what's more important. We know people like this. The people who are suffering and who have suffered and they stay Maybe they don't have all the answers. They don't say, oh, it's working for good in these 18 ways. They they don't say that, but they say, you know what? Jesus is getting me through it. I love him, and I can't wait to see him. What impresses you more? What makes you go, wow? You're the floodlight for the art that is the beauty of Jesus Christ, despite uh, aside from every good thing that he gives, so, all that's to wrap it up. Do, do you see how Paul sees his suffering? Look, when he's in it, he feels it. Burdened beyond life itself, he feels it. I felt perplexed, he says. When he's in it, he feels it. But he also has, he knows how to think about this. This is the way it works, he says. Cross before the what? The crown. Which means it's worth it. Cross before The crown because it's worth it. If you get that in your DNA, if you get that in the way you see, guess what you'll have more of when you face suffering? Courage. We don't lose heart, Paul says. Courage from how we think about suffering. Second, courage from where we look during suffering. Courage from where we look during suffering. So look at verse 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So he's talking about where he looks, but he's, he's, not, he's not using the way of where we look or what we see to be like, I ignore one thing. So he's already said, hey, I've suffered, I feel it, I get perplexed, we despaired. He's not living in some naive world where he's just pretending bad things don't exist. Obviously, he's not doing that. When he talks about what he's looking at, he's talking about where he hangs the hat of his heart, where he puts his hope. What is he gonna obsess about? What's he gonna lean on? What's he gonna rely on? So it's like having two sets of glasses, okay? There, there's, there's such contrast in these verses. There's one thing which is light, momentary, um, seen, transient on one side. Your circumstances on one side. On the other side, eternal, forever. They're not in, it doesn't feel like your circumstances, in that way you don't see it, but you know it's there. So you got circumstances versus what's eternal, and each one is like a set of glasses. So if you obsess over the, the circumstances alone, that gets all your heart, all your energy. It's like a pair of, of broken glasses. The lenses are all scratched up. The prescription's long, wrong, you know, You're lost. On the other side, it's crystal clear. Everything pops. You see. Which which glasses are you wearing? What are you looking to? What are you hoping in? It makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. What should you focus on? What should you obsess over? Your circumstances, the anxieties that come from that? Or what's Paul looking at? Verse 18, we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Something's coming, according to Paul. Something's coming. It's beyond my skill with words to unpack verse 17. This light, momentary affliction. Do you remember some of his affliction? Affliction. Five times 39 lashes, that whole thing. Remember that? Danger, danger, danger. The sea. And what did he just call his affliction? Light? That sounds heavy to me. He called it light. Um, if that's the case, what would he call your affliction? I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm taking a risk here. I might offend you. Light. Does he mean to demean his own suffering and say it was no big deal? Is that what he he means to do? Does he mean to demean your suffering and say, buckle up, buttercup, You, you know, you're being a wimp. Is that what he means to do? Not at all. You've seen him take suffering very seriously. You've seen him take it very seriously. So what he's doing is not demeaning the suffering of this life. He's overwhelmed by what's coming in the next life. And how great it is. And this is so humongous. He said, This affliction is preparing for us. Did you see that? The what is preparing? The affliction is preparing for us. So that's cross before the crown again. The affliction is preparing for us an eternal. So just help me with these words. What's eternal mean? Longer. Eternal. Wait. What's weight mean? Substantial, massive, real, thick, powerful, eternal weight of what? Glory. Glory. What is glory? It's what's beautiful, it's what's awesome, it's what gives you joy and amazement. It's, it's what you long for. It's what you want to taste. It's what you want to see. It's where you want to go. Eternal weight of glory beyond all. Compare. Compare. If your suffering's heavy right now, plug this in. Because Paul is saying what's coming is so beautiful And so good that it will make your worst suffering, it will expose your worst suffering as being nothing but a triviality. Not because your suffering is small, but because that glory is so great. You guys, heaven isn't just going to be an escape from suffering where we're like, oh, we made it out of that. It's it's going to be the undoing of all your suffering. All the destruction is going to be remade into something better. All the loss is going to be re-given to where you have more. Everything is going to be inverted and flipped and expanded. Like, okay, see Jesus, the suffering servant, going to the cross See him naked, bleeding, alone. Now see him, what would it be like if you saw him now? You'd be on your face. Did you, do you see the, the flip, the inversion, cross, the, the crown is just awe-inspiring. And, and that's what's going to happen with all our suffering. That's what this verse is saying. This eternal glory is going to uh, invert every suffering and make it Beautiful beyond words. It's gonna be so heavy that your suffering was light. So beautiful. Part of it's in the resurrection. Look at what he says in chapter five, verses one to three. I love these images here. For we know that if uh, the tent that is our early earthly home, so what's your tent? That's this thing, right? You ever tried to set up an old broken tent in the the poles don't, you know, they don't have the elastic in them anymore, and it won't stay up. And there's holes, and it's cold, and the water leaks through. You feel that way about your body? This is an old garage sale tent. Some of you, you have a nice new version on your tent. We hope it lasts you a while. Some of us were like, "Boy, this one's." <laughs> Sell it. What are we going to get from God? Verse one. We know that if the tent of our earthly home is destroyed, what do we have? Do you see it? Chapter five, verse one. If The tent that is our earthly home is destroyed. We have a building from God. Do you see the difference? What would you like to live in? Uh, We took uh, our family to Yellowstone a couple years ago. Katie was so little when we went. Three? Almost three. And so we're camping and she's being a trooper. And then a couple days in, she's like, can we go back home to our house with a roof? (laughs) I want to go to the house with a roof. That's the way we feel in this life. Look at verse two. In this tent, we what? In this tent, we groan. Oh, how long? How long? And we long to put on our heavenly dwelling that new body's gonna be like a house compared to this tent. House, permanent. Comfortable, fitting, strong—we long for it. And look at verse four: we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed. By that he means, I don't just want to—I I don't just want to die and get out of the suffering and be with the Lord. I, then he says, "I want to be further clothed. I want the new body on the new earth, so that." And then here's another place where my words fail. So that what, church, so that what is mortal may be, you like this image, swallowed up by life. Again, this eternal weight of glory, life just shocking us with its wonder, real life, the kind of thing where you say, this is what I longed for all my days, and I didn't know that now I'm home. This is it, life has come. That's what you're supposed to hang your hat on. That's what gives Paul courage through all his suffering is the eternal glory that's coming. He is not just waiting for a heaven where he gets to barely escape. He he is not just waiting for some spiritual cloud-like thing where he floats around. He is waiting for an experience of a new body on a new earth where everything evil is undone and remade and renewed to where we're all just thrilled beyond words forever and ever. He says it's coming, and he calls it his hope. Uh, Christian hope is not like lottery hope. I bought four tickets, and I hope I win, and you're not going to. Christian Christian hope is like, um, I know it's going to happen. I'm just waiting for it. I know it's coming, and you cannot understand the Apostle Paul and his courage and his endurance if you don't see what he hopes in, and he's hoping in this glory. That is what he lives for, that's why he will do what he does, because he knows what's coming. So if you want courage through suffering, guess where you're going to have to look? The weight of eternal glory. The weight of it. Let's go now to how we walk. So we see we have to see a certain way, think a certain way. We have to understand it's cross before the crown, which makes it worth it. We have to um, long for a certain thing or, or look to certain things. We have to look to that eternal glory Jesus will give us, and finally, the way to walk. Psalm so in chapter five, verse five. Now, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. So just uh, catching up again. Who, what's this very thing in that phrase? Chapter five, verse five. Eternal glory, swallowed up by life. And who's the he who is preparing us? God. Um, what's it mean that he's preparing us? He's getting it ready. He's getting it ready. So what is God getting you ready for? Eternal glory. Glory. Eternal glory. I'm reminded of a phrase in Ephesians where he's going to lavish his kindness on us for all eternity. Again, it's, it's, it's God saying, I know you think this is bad, and it is. I have compassion for you. My son went through it. Let me put a little wager on the table. You think I can make this up to you? You, th- you think I'm good and powerful enough to where I can undo all this and, and make it to where you were like, oh, that was light because this is, this is overwhelming? You think I can make it up to you? That's what God's saying. That's what Paul's saying, he's gonna make it up to us. Not that he owes us, but that he wants to show us how lavish his love is, how great his power is for us. The suffering is gonna end and be replaced by this glory. But for now, we're waiting, right? We're not there yet, oh man. He has prepared us for this very thing as God, who has given us, so God wants to leave you with something so that you can hang on and make it. And what is it that he's given us? He's given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. The guarantee is uh, like a down payment. I'm going to pay for the whole house, but let me let me give you the first payment. I'm going to get you to glory. Let me give you the thing you need to hang on to, and it's the Holy Spirit. And then Paul says, "So we are always what?" Verse 6. Of good courage. The Spirit is enough to give me courage to handle the suffering while i wait for what i know is coming for we know that while we're at home in the body we're away from the lord for we how do we walk folks walk by faith uh, these are phrases i always want to i struggle with unpacking or understanding what does it mean to walk by faith uh, to throw another wrench into the equation, there's, the, there's this thing of like, we proclaim the gospel to you, and then by the Spirit you behold it. Do you hear? What's, what's proclaiming? Words, it's auditory. And then what's beholding? Eyesight. And then Paul says, but we walk by faith and not by sight. So which is it? Or we look to the things that are unseen. Do you catch why that's difficult? We what? Look to the things that are what? Unseen? How do you look to something that you can't see? How do you behold the glory that's not here when your circumstances are pain? How do you walk, which is, the Bible uses the word walk to mean it's lifestyle? The way you walk, it's it's the manner in which you think, you feel, you do. It's the consistent you, the way you walk. How do you walk by faith? Well, here it is, faith. What's faith? It's trust. Uh, You could say believing in God. It might be better to say it's believing God. It is better. Believing God. That means God has said stuff to you. Right? And if you believe him, if you believe him, then you know it's true. Come on, isn't the, way you, isn't the way you think kind of how you see? Isn't what you love kind of how you see? How you interpret the world? How you see. And if you believe God, If you really believe him, guess how you'll see things. You'll see things in the way that he has described them. Uh, One example, you meet somebody in your life, they're intimidating, they bother you, um, you don't wanna be with them. What do you see? I see a jerk, I see uh, somebody who's in my way. Then you get up one day and you read your Bible You pray a little bit. God talks to you. How do you see that person differently maybe the next time? They're made in the image of God. They have some of the same struggles you do. They're a sinner. What do they need? They need Jesus. What's God call you to do? Show compassion. What changed in your circumstances? Nearly nothing. What changed about you? Everything. Why? Because of the way you see because you believed God. It's amazing that Paul says, We walk by faith and not by sight. And guess what he says in Galatians 5:6? But I say, Walk by the Spirit. So, which is it? Do you walk by faith or do you walk by the Spirit? Yes, the Spirit is the one who quickens that faith so that the auditory message that you hear or the words that you read on the page, you believe it and now you see life accordingly. So uh, I think it was C.S. Lewis who used the illustration of if you go into an old broken shed on a sunny day and you walk in there and it's dark everywhere but there's a hole in the ceiling and there's this beam of light coming through the ceiling. And so in one perspective, you could stand aside and be like, oh, look at the beam of light. Or you could walk under the hole and look through the beam of light and see the sky. You you look at the Bible and you read it, you're looking at the beam of light. You believe it by the power of the Spirit. You believe it and you look through it and you see the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Faith. How do you walk in suffering. How do you have courage? You you walk by faith and you see. And you're changed. The spirit enables us to see while we wait for that glory. Helps us to keep walking. He enables us to see. Look at 2 Corinthians 3:17. Remember this from a couple of weeks ago. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, what do we get to do? beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. And we do that by believing God's word. That's how we see. How do you have courage for suffering? Number one, how you think, cross before the crown. It means it's worth it, cross before the crown. Number two, hang your hat, your hopes on, look to eternal glory that's coming. Keep looking. Keep looking. Number three, walk by the Spirit, which means walk by faith, which means believe God at his word, and you'll see things differently, you'll act differently, you'll move forward differently. The Spirit enables us to see. One more thing to throw at you. The Spirit also enables the we. The we. Anybody else pick up this word that's used like 23 times in these verses? We, 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 we. We, 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 we. All the way home. We. I can't help but hear, it's not we, we. It's, it's we. What is, what is we? It's so big. It's so big. Courage through suffering. It's us. It's not just I. I, I, I. No, it's, it's we. Which means you want to walk. You, you want to see cross before the crown, guess, guess, what, guess what we need for that? I need you and you need me. You wanna, you wanna look to eternal glory? Guess what we need for that when we're feeling despairing of life and all the rest? We need, we, need, we need us. You wanna walk by faith and not by sight? The Spirit gives us one another. Let's hang on to each other, folks. We have everything we need for courage and suffering by the power of the Spirit, changes how we see, cross before the crown, changes where we look, eternal glory, changes how we walk, by the spirit, by faith, with one another. So take courage, because this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all compare. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We don't like the suffering We thank you for your great mercy in it, your compassion in it, that your son knows what it's like. Lord, we thank you for your promises. Fill us with the spirit, Lord, help us to see. Help us to see the beauty of Jesus, turn ourselves to him. Help us to see and believe your word, Lord, uh, the way we understand things, to live for your glory. Lord, help us to hope, truly hope, in the eternal glory that's coming. And help us to hold one another up, Lord, to walk by the spirit, walk by faith. Give us courage, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening, and we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.